Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you have your bibles or your phone or whatever you're carrying with you open it to james chapter 3 we're going to begin in verse 13 this morning and as you're turning there by way of reminder I want to look at who James is again just for a moment because in this epistle, we catch in James the glimpse of his pastoral heart. See, every pastor has the fear that Sunday after Sunday, week after week, their congregation will walk through the doors and sit in a seat just like you are today and have a false sense of security that you would come and you would participate in the sermon, you would participate in the worship, you might even raise your hands. You might put a few dollars in the offering as it's passed by, and you might believe that you're there with God, that you are, are, your salvation is secure, that your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but you would have a false sense of security because the gospel hasn't really changed you just yet. Jesus in the gospels he taught a parable, shared a parable with his disciples. And he said, there was a sower who went out to sow some seed. And as he was sowing the seed, some of the seed fell on the wayside or on the path. And, and because it was on the path where people were walking, the earth was strong and it was hard and there was no way for the seed to penetrate the earth. And so the birds of the air came and they devoured the seed and the seed wasn't able to take root. Some seed, as the sower was sowing the seed, fell upon some soil that had, had a little bit of topsoil on it, and the, the seed was able to get its way in, and it was even, even able to sprout and begin to grow, but because it was shallow earth, there was no depth of soil there. Eventually, when it grew, it sprouted. The sun scorched that little plant, and it withered, and it died. There was a third type of seed as it was scattered. It was scattered on some good soil. The soil was deep and, and rich enough for it to sustain life and the seed began to grow but there were weeds surrounding this particular plant and the weeds crept in and choked out the fruitfulness of that plant. And then there was a fourth type of seed, the seed that when it was scattered, when it was spewn about, it fell on that rich fertile soil and it, was, it wasn't in the midst of weeds so it wasn't choked out and it sprang forth and it produced an amazing harvest for the Lord's glory. Now, the disciples were unsure of what Jesus was talking about, and they questioned him, and they said, Jesus, what does this parable mean? And Jesus explained the parable. He said, the, the seed that was sown on the pathway, on that hardened ground, is the seed that it, the, the seed goes forth, the word of God goes forth, and the people hear the word, but there, there's no way for it to take root because the enemy comes and snatches the word, snatches that promise, snatches that truth before it takes root 
And so some people have the truth snatched from them by the enemy before it can take root. He said the second type of soil are those who, they receive the word with gladness. They understand it when they first hear it and they give praise maybe even to the Lord. But the moment that trials come into their life, the moment that the sun starts beating down, that, that root is not strong enough and that plant withers and it dies. And so is the case with some people who receive the word and there's no depth of their faith and the plant shrivels and it dies. And Jesus said that third type of plant, the plant that receives the word and it finds its roots deep, but the cares of this life, just like the weeds, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life come in and they choke out the fruitfulness of that plant and it never fulfills what it was meant to do is to to bring forth more fruit, to reproduce itself, to plant more seeds. And so those are the the people who, who the cares of this life have choked out their fruitfulness. And then there's the fourth seed and those are the ones who receive the word and they produce a crop they receive the truth and something is birthed from that they reproduce more life see one of the main characteristics of life is its ability to reproduce itself and if you believe this morning that you are saved that means you believe you have been saved unto eternal life and one of the characteristics of eternal life is the ability to reproduce itself, the ability to spread that life, to scatter your own seeds and to watch people grow in the Lord around you. Are you following me? Now here's what's frightening to any pastor, to any preacher who would be at any pulpit when he looks out at a bunch of faces staring back at him is that the, the truth would be scattered, the seed would be sown, but it wouldn't take root. The fact of the matter is Jesus said that there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and perform many miracles in your name? And he will look them in the eye and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. The hard truth, fact of the matter is there are people here today seated in these seats who believe that they've cried out, Lord, Lord, and the Lord still doesn't know you. The gospel hasn't yet changed you. It hasn't birthed eternal life in you. Are you following me? Listen, it's impossible for you to have heard the gospel, to understand what the gospel means, that there was a God who loved you so much that he sent his only son in your place because you were a sinner in deserving of death that God, even, even when you were in your worst uh, state, even when you were involved in your worst sin, even when you were doing what you were ashamed of the most, he loved you enough to send his son to die in your place so you wouldn't have to die that death. That he claimed victory over your sin and raising from the dead and that he promised his, to return to secure his bride one day. You cannot understand that truly and have it not change your life. Think about this just for a moment because in the church, I think we do a disservice sometimes in the way we preach repentance because we'll get up here and we'll say repent and you can be saved as if repentance is a work that leads to your salvation. You understand that there is nothing that you can do that can save you, right? Even your repentance cannot lead to your salvation. Salvation, salvation births your desire to repent, 
You understand the gospel. You're hit smack dab in the face. This amazing truth that God loved you that much and gave everything for you causes you, leads you to repentance, causes you to say, the way I used to live is rubbish and all I want is Jesus. That is repentance. You cannot even repent until you understand the gospel, until salvation visits your home, your heart, till that seed takes root. If you're still struggling in your sin, if you're still going about your, your, your life without repentance, still carrying on your business the old way, your old life, you aren't saved. You don't understand the gospel yet because if you did, it would change you. Time and time again, we read stories in the scripture where people were confronted by the Lord or had this amazing encounter with the glory of God and it changed them. We read in Isaiah chapter six how Isaiah has this amazing vision of the Lord and he sees the glory of God filling the temple and it causes him to cry out, woe is me because I have unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. God, you are glory and I am nothing. Woe is me. We, we read where Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he is in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and he comes down off of the mountain and his face glows because he's been in the presence of God. His appearance was even changed because he'd been in the presence of God. God's glory changes us. We read where Saul, on the way to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, he's confronted by the Lord and this voice from heaven is heard and this bright light shines all around him and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul falls on his face before the Lord and he says, who are you, Lord, and what would you have me do? The scripture tells us that he goes back into the city and the same people that he had been persecuting, the same people that he'd been dragging to be punished and tortured and ripping families apart, now he's, he's sharing the truth that Jesus is Lord and everyone is amazed because just in that moment when he was encountered with the glory of God, when he understood the gospel, when the seed went into his heart, it changed him forever. So much so that in Philippians chapter three, he would write, what used to be gained to me, what I used to live my life for, those things that used to make me excited, those things that uh, used, to, used to captivate my attention, now they're all loss, rubbish, so that I might gain Christ. His life was changed forever when he understood the gospel. Amen. You see, you cannot continue to live your old life to be involved in your same old sin and somehow convince yourself that you are saved because the gospel will change you. And this is the message that James is writing to us in this epistle. This is what he was trying to reach his people with. Remember, he's the leader of the church in, in Jerusalem. He's the one tasked with building up the church and edifying and encouraging the church. And what he's doing is he's seeing these people that are being saved out of Judaism and he says, are you really truly saved? Because there are going to be things that you'll see in your life that will lead you to believe that you're saved or not. We've already studied in James chapter one how James would write that the word of God is like a mirror. And a man observes himself in the mirror and the man who hears the word and doesn't do it is like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and he sees all of the flaws and all of the imperfections and he walks away and he does nothing about it. That's, the, that's what the, the, the man who hears the word and doesn't do the word is like. Careful. 
Today, we're going to be looking long and hard into the mirror, and we're going to be comparing our lives with the standard that James says, this is how you know whether or not you're real. This is how you know whether or not you understand the gospel. This is how you know whether or not your life has been changed. Have you encountered the glory of God or haven't you? Because if you have, this is what your life is going to look like. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Speaking of the false prophets and, and the, the false preachers and the false leaders, he said, you're going to recognize the false teachers by their fruits, whether or not they have the capability to reproduce themselves. They're going to come in. They're going to say they're of me. They're going to try to preach a, the, the, the gospel that I preach. But you watch their lives. And when you inspect their lives and you see the fruit of their lives, you're going to know whether or not they're real, whether or not the gospel has changed them. We all together here? Amen. Now, considering that, open your Bibles to James chapter 3. And we're going to see a series of contrasts that James now is going to lie out between what it is like to live in the world and what it's like to live for the kingdom, what it's like to follow after God and what it's like to follow after the flesh, what it's like to, to be worldly and what it's like, like to be heavenly. And so he begins in chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll read all of this together and come back. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if you have your outlines, I want you to pull them out, and we're going to begin going through this message. The first thing I want you to see is that your capacity, your understanding of the gospel is going to be told by your outlook, the outlook you have on others. And the first thing we're going to look at according to this text is the outlook of meekness. So if you're taking notes, write that down, the outlook of meekness. James begins this portion of text. He says, who is wise in understanding among you? Who is it in the room that is wise? And re remember, we, we looked at this word wisdom, and I think we have a pretty good understanding of what wisdom is, but just by way of recap, let's revisit this really quickly. Because the difference between knowledge and wisdom is a vast difference. Knowledge is the understanding of facts, Right? It's the ability to understand something, okay? And, and we can all understand something. We can all memorize facts, but wisdom takes that knowledge and applies that knowledge. It puts that knowledge into practice. It knows what to do with what you have learned. Again, looking at this through the lens of James, he's saying you have a lot of knowledge, but I don't see you doing what you've learned. Who is the wise one among you? It's the, who's, who's wise and understanding among you? You're going to see this by their good conduct, okay? So let's look at this word wisdom. I said this last time. The world is filled with educated fools. Anyone believe that? You agree with that? There are a lot of people who have a lot of education, who have a lot of initials after their names, who have absolutely, positively no common sense. They have knowledge, but they don't know what to do with that knowledge, 
the danger, the, the worry of every preacher is that he would fatten up his people and give them, pump them filled with knowledge, but they would have no idea what to do with that knowledge. We want you to know what to do with the knowledge that you gain here. See, knowledge understands that in order for me to start my car, I have to have a car battery. Wisdom knows how to change that battery. Like, knowledge understands that I have to have good oil pressure in order for my car to operate properly. Wisdom changes the oil when the light comes on, right? A lot of you don't do that. Ladies in the room, let me get your attention here. <laughs> knowledge understands that I must have gasoline in my vehicle to go from point A to point B. Wisdom fills the tank up before you run out of gas. It's the application of that knowledge. Are you following me? Now, facts are different, right? Everyone in the room, you, pretty much everyone in the room, you can memorize the answers to a driving test. You youth up there. I have pretty strong confidence that you who are getting ready to drive could memorize the answers to the driver's test. But there are a lot of you who should not be driving. This is truth. I hear, I hear of, of, of young people getting their permits and, and their licenses, and I feel less safe, right? Because they, they have the knowledge, but they don't understand what to do with it just yet. We don't want a church filled with people who have a lot of knowledge. We want a church filled with people who have knowledge and then who know how to apply it, who know what to do with what they have learned. Now, to the Jewish mind, they revered knowledge more than the wealth of gold and silver. And if you're writing notes, I'm not going to read it just for sake of time. I learned my lesson in the Brawley campus this morning. Uh, but write these verses down. I want you to write down Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and Proverbs chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. And read about how important wisdom is to the Jewish thinker. It's more revered than, than silver or gold, it produces long life. I mean, these descriptions are amazing. And what, what I want you to understand today is what James wanted his listeners to understand today, that the power in the scriptures is not in the knowledge of the Bible, it's in the application of the Bible. The power in the scripture is not in the Bible study, it's in the Bible doing. This is why James would say that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. Listen to this text again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Right, this is a rhetorical question because he's gonna answer it. He's gonna give us the answer of who the wise and understanding person is. And he begins by saying, the one who is wise and understanding, by his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. He will, he will have good conduct. The word conduct in the Greek means lifestyle. His life will have changed. There will be a marked difference in that person's life from when they come to the Lord bef from before they came to the Lord. Their life will look different. Has your life changed? Does your life look different? Over and over and over again, James is challenging us with this truth. In James chapter two, verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? What good is faith without works. I, I need to see that it's changed you. If you, true, if you have true saving faith, I'm going to be able to evidence that by your works, by the things that you do. Are you following? 
James chapter two, verses 17 and 18. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. That is not true saving faith. That is not faith that is producing fruit. That is not faith that has found the good soil and has grown and is reproducing. Faith without works is dead. It's choked out. It is shriveled up and died. It is not existent. If your actions do not support your faith, it is not really faith at all. So he goes on, he says this. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Last week, Pastor Walter taught on the tongue, the power of the tongue how it's a small member in the body, but it's like a rudder that moves a ship. It's like the the bridle in the uh, mouth of a horse that moves and, and changes direction of the horse. And then it goes on and it says, how can out of the same mouth come both blessings and cursings? How can you come here and praise God with your lips on Sunday and curse God with your lips the rest of the week? It cannot be so, James says. You're fooling yourselves. He says, I want you to really look in the mirror. Has the gospel changed you? Can I see faith because, or works because of your faith? Has the, the lifestyle that you've been living, how has it changed? Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He would write, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live like the old man lived. Don't chase after the old man's dream. Stop living the old life. Don't be that guy anymore. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. With your life, your life should be holy now. It it, it makes sense, does it not? If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you cannot be a follower of Jesus if your life still looks the same as it used to. If you're following Jesus, you have to follow Jesus into holiness, into righteousness, into purity. If you are not, you're fooling yourselves. You're one of the three soils that the seed never really found its place. Your conduct, your lifestyle has to be changed. Who is the wise and understanding person in the room? It's the person whose lifestyle shows a difference from before. This is what James is saying. Paul would write this to his protege, Timothy. He would say, let no one despise your youth. First Timothy chapter four. Let no one despise your youth, but, be, uh, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, or in love, in faith, and in purity. Be an example. The word in the Greek is a mirrored image. Be a mirrored image of what it looks like to live righteously and pure like Jesus. Be a reflection of Jesus to the world in your conduct, in your lifestyle. The wise and understanding person in the room, you're not going to be governed by the same passions that you used to. Your life will have changed. Are we good? First thing he says there, I'm gonna be able to tell by your lifestyle, by your good conduct. The second thing he says there, by his good conduct, let him show his works. Here's this word again. James is bringing up the notion of works and sometimes again in, in the Christian church, works is like a, a bad word. We can't say works because works, if I'm, if I'm trying to chase after works, it means I haven't put my trust in the sufficiency of the cross. That is not the case. James is saying works are important because it's proof that you've put your faith in the trust and your trust in the sufficiency of the cross. Do you follow me? He says, I will be able to see by your works something different. 
Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want to bring glory to God by my works. I want people to, to watch me live my life to be able to observe my lifestyle, to, to watch the decisions that I make with money, to watch the decisions that I make as a father, to watch the decisions that I make as a husband, to watch the decisions that I make as a pastor and say, man, I give glory to God because I can see God in the way he lives his life and in the works that he brings. This is how Peter put it, 1 Peter chapter two. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Abstain from the old man. Keep your conduct, your lifestyle among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That they would, everything that they have in them wants to say something bad about you, say something bad about me. But when they watch the way I live my life, when they watch the way you live your life, they would have no choice but to give glory to God. Man, that's what I want my life to look like. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977